so it's like put in the toast, turn it on, wait like 30 seconds, light the stove, put on the egg, like wait, because like you want like the toast to be done just when the egg is done, but you don't always know when the egg is just gonna turn over and be cooked and then you'll overcook the yolk and like I don't know, if you time it wrong, it always turns into a whole thing. This is Lekka. I'm Lucy Dearlick. You know what's a big deal in New York City? Breakfast. I spent three weeks there last summer and I truly ate some of the best breakfasts of my life. Scrambled eggs with locks at Russ and Daughters. A killer Bloody Mary at Enid's in Greenpoint. Probably more sausage McGriddles than I should admit to. Pastries, bagels, iced coffee, pancakes. It's a place that knows how to start the day. One day, I had a bagel for breakfast in Long Island City. Everything toasted with scallion cream cheese. I love how there's a whole distinct language around breakfast here and your orders have to be structured accordingly. After the bagel, I went to the MoMA PS1 gallery. I was in the shop there, thinking about the bagel actually, when I found a book called Food Stuff. From a brief glance, it looked like it was an illustrated food memoir of sorts, which was obviously immediately right up my street. It didn't have a price on it, so I took it over to the desk to ask how much it was. The person who I asked was super happy I'd picked it up, told me it had actually been written and illustrated by a woman called Aishan Gerlach, who'd done an internship at PS1, and he promised to email her and let her know that I'd bought it. So I did buy it, and then sat down with a nice coffee in the cafe to look through it. I was immediately drawn to the depiction of the author's ideal bagel order. Everything bagel, cream cheese, bacon and avocado. But also the recipes, little stories and memories about food she'd eaten growing up, and the things she eats now with her friends and flatmates. Intricate two-page spreads dedicated to her family's Taco Tuesdays, and the Turkish breakfast she ate at her grandma's. This was a person whose life revolved around food in a really meaningful and thoughtful way. And basically, I knew at this point that I really wanted to meet her. And more than that, I really wanted her to cook for me. So I tracked her down online, found out she lived in Brooklyn, and I emailed her. At this point, I only had a few days left in New York, but I thought I might as well give it a shot. And amazingly, we actually found a time to record. Despite Aishan being about to dash out of state for a family wedding. So I got the subway from my sublet in Bed-Stuy over to Aishan's apartment in Kensington and turned up on her doorstep, pretty hungry and a little bit sweaty. I'm Aishan, Aishan Gerlach. Uh, we are here in my apartment in South Brooklyn, here to make breakfast sandwiches a la bacon, egg and cheese on a biscuit, uh, inspired partially by my book Food Stuff that I wrote and illustrated myself and self-published earlier this summer, all about food, memories, and recipes, and stories and anecdotes about friends and family and food. And I want to credit the biscuit recipe that I'm using, because it's not technically mine. I have it over here. Also, I'm just like, reading about like celebrity YouTube drama right now. Obviously. Um, okay, yeah. Chris Schur from the Café Sucre Farine turned me on to this amazing 
biscuit recipe because of the way it, I have to show what makes it so amazing. Um, or what makes it so easy. Sorry, I'm running around a lot. No, that's fine. I'm just going to taste these. So, and we'll get the bacon out for, well, I guess we can keep it in there for now. So the way it works is you get your buttermilk and you put it in the freezer for like 10 minutes to get it really, really cold. And then you melt your butter and then you mix them together. And like the shock of the hot butter and the icy buttermilk makes it um, turn into these little clumps. And then you just mix that into the mix and the butter's already cut into the flour without having to like use a pastry knife. Okay. And it's really, really easy and it's worked for me so far and they're still really fluffy, so. That's amazing. I, you, I just never would have thought of that. Exactly, and it works for scones too. Like he did a similar scone recipe where you use the same like technique um, and it works like really, really well and saves so much time except for like having to wait for it in the freezer, but you can do other prep stuff while you do that. So I guess, I got this Death Star kitchen oh God, timer that my mom got me for Christmas. And it makes a really loud, it like makes the explosion sound when the alarm goes off. So just a warning, well, I'm it's exci- gonna be loud. I'm excited to hear that. So I guess in the meantime, we'll put together the dry ingredients and then melt the butter because I have to do that on the stove because we don't have a microwave. Cool, yeah. Um, so I think it's like two cups of flour. I rinse this out. Um, I saw it trending on Twitter, it has the latest season of Great British Bake Off just started. I'm looking forward to catching up. Oh my gosh. I, I know, I have to say, those. it's not been the same since it switched networks. Well, yeah. See, I still haven't watched the first season where they switched. My yeah. other roommate, Maya, said that like she liked it well enough, you know, even though it's, I'm sure. I mean, it's, it's still good. Like, yeah, like, it's still things. good, yeah. but it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mel and Sue were just sort of the glue that held it together, really. Yeah. So it's not the same without them. That's but. a bummer. But I do love Noel Fielding. So, dry ingredients. Two cups of flour, which I will not sift because I'm lazy and I don't have a proper sifter. And it doesn't really matter for this, I guess. So, and so I'm guessing here. from this and from you saying that you perfected this recipe, this is this is something you're, you're doing a lot. Like. Yeah, I only found this one a little while ago, but since moving to this apartment, we've made it a lot of times because, like, you know, my roommate's boyfriend is from Brooklyn. Like. Most of us, she's also from the East Coast. My other roommate is from Singapore, but she still loves a breakfast sandwich, naturally. So it's just something that I started making a lot, especially because we all love, like, getting, like, thick-cut bacon, and, like, it's really good, especially for dinner. Um, Yeah, breakfast for dinner is very good. Breakfast for dinner. One tablespoon of sugar. Half a teaspoon baking soda. Are you more of a baking fan or a cooking fan? I feel like you can separate people into Yeah, I categories. think I'm actually a bit more of a baking fan. Um, I've been talking about this recently. I'm not sure what it is. There's something about, like, I get more impatient with cooking sometimes, depending on what I'm doing. Like, I feel like it's more to do with the fact that, like, when you're cooking something, like, it has to be a meal. And, like, if I, like, want dinner and then it turns into this whole operation and then I'm just, like, hungry and, like, spending all this time and, like, all, you have to get all these random spices if you don't already have them, if you're trying to make some, like, curry or something. I don't know. But with baking, it's, like, you're already doing something extra. So it's, like, <laughs> going to that extra effort, like, you're already at that point and I'm more willing to, like, put in the care for, like, the ingredients because I'm getting something that, like, needs the specificity, I don't know. I feel like cooking I'll like more when I just get better at it and I can like improv better, but that's just lazy. No, I know me. what you mean, and that's like that takes a lot of work. Yeah. To be able to be like, oh well I know that if I'm making a curry, it's this blend of particular spices. Yeah. So maybe I'll get there at some point. But I do like cooking. Um 
because for the cheese on this bacon, egg, and cheese, we're not going to... Usually I would do like an American cheese because I like the way it melts on eggs mm. specifically. But this time we're going to do like pan fried queso fresca. Let me just get my last thing. Three quarters of a tablespoon... No, three quarters of a teaspoon of salt. So... So this is ready, and now we're gonna melt the butter because the timer is almost up on the buttermilk. Right. Um, yeah, one of my biggest, most common baking mistakes is like when I'm doing something that needs like room temperature butter. It's never at room temperature. Yeah. And yeah. I'll like, leave it out for like a couple of minutes in this New York summer, and it probably would be. Well, exactly. <laughs> this one's already kind of squishy, so I guess it might melt quickly. Um, so those are ready. Buttermilk's almost ready. Butter is now melting, laptop's dying. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, so did you do a lot of baking as a kid? Is that where you started? Yeah, my both of my grandmas on either side of the family were really good bakers. My grandma on my dad's side specifically, we always, like, the big joke is, like, Fran would have put, like, Martha Stewart to shame. Like, she was, like, the real, like, homemaker. Um, she made really good pies. I included two recipes in the book actually, one from each of my grandmothers, and both of them were pastries technically. One of them was that Turkish one, and the other one was these Christmas tree-shaped cookies that we make every year that are really, really good. They're just a shortbread cookie, but you like roll them out into triangular logs and crust them with green sprinkles and slice them, so they look like little green Christmas trees. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, it's like a really smart, easy Christmas yeah. cookie recipe that doesn't involve like a stamp or anything, and it's a good shortbread recipe too, which is nice. Um, yeah. This is pretty much ready. All I have to do is mix everything together. Right. Just double checking. Here's the cool part. Or it's not that cool. It's a little cool. Okay, so we've got this buttermilk that's been in the freezer. Yes. And it's nice. You can see that it's like, well... Oh, yeah. It's just starting It's started to, to stick yeah. to the edges of the pan, um, or the bowl. So I think it's good. And I mean, it feels it's very cold. cold. Yeah. And this is very hot butter. So you just sort of pour it, and you quickly start, like, whisking it. And... Hope the butter is not too hot because otherwise it would just bring the temperature of the buttermilk up. And there we go. There's the timer. Oh my god, that's so great. Yeah. Hmm. I think the butter was too hot. I should have let it cool for a second. Oh, so it's meant to sort of. Because, like, up. you can see little particles. It oh, probably yeah. will still work, but usually, like, it kind of covers the gaps on the fork a little bit. Oh. Um, so I'm I really might, by this. yeah, I might just put it back in the freezer okay. for a bit to let it set up and dry my face because <laughs> I'm dripping. So I'm slicing the queso fresco. I think like one, even though it's kind of an oblong shape, we can crisscross it with the bacon and it'll add up because yeah. a nice chunk I think is enough. I actually, I haven't seen this cheese before. To me, queso fresco is like, it's like crumbly. Oh, this is queso blanco. Oh, okay. That's why. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying the wrong thing. Apologies. Yeah. So okay. I think it's a similar taste so it sim where it's a little bit mild and salty. Yeah. But this one is like in a hard... Because it's firm, like halloumi, like when you're yeah. slicing it. Um, let's check on this. Oh, it seems a little lumpier. That's oh, good. there we go. Great. Yeah. This is how it's kind of supposed to okay. look. So like the a butter bit... milk butter mixture is now slightly lumpy. This is... I'm happy enough with okay. this. I think Great. it'll be fine. Okay. I'm gonna move these because I need a surface to roll these out. And the plan is to work on the bacon while everything else is in the oven. It should look fine. Too hot. So, how long have you been drawing food? Mm, I 
only started drawing food for this project, actually. That okay. was the first time that I got, like, That's I've done it before, like, situationally, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but not specifically. But no. And I've wanted to try it for a while. Like, um, you know, I used to be big on, like, I loved using Tumblr. And something sure. that people post all the time on there is... Um, GIFs from like Studio Ghibli animations of food oh because God, they're so well done. Yeah. Like yeah, that fish cake and like Kiki's delivery service and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, so I was like, some part of me was like, I want to be able to draw food like that, like to draw food that like looks yummy. Because um, that's hard. That, that's something I was thinking about. It like, is. Because it's this whole thing about food having to be aesthetically pleasing when sometimes it's just not. It just tastes good. And, exactly. Yeah. And I learned a lot about that when I was doing this book because there were some things that I like had to sit down and draw and was like, how do I make this look appetizing? Um, <laughs> Which ones in particular? Um, I guess quiche was kind of hard. Yeah. Because quiche looks good in theory, but like... On the page, maybe not so much. Yeah. If you're an artist listening, the key to drawing food is texture. If you can convey the texture, that does a lot of the work. Because the other thing is a lot of my drawings are entirely black and white. Like I only draw with yeah, pencil. Yeah. And I would add some spot color, but I wasn't doing like a painting of like yeah. food where you would see all like the delineations. Um, yeah, so that's But tough, conveying though. the texture of things made a big difference for sure. So this was really the first time, yeah, that I kind of went about it. But my drawing practice also had like changed a lot over the past year or so. Okay. So I felt a lot more ready for it. Like okay. I had gotten a lot better at like drawing from reference, at measuring when I draw, things like that. Because I had a stint where I was trying to be a little bit more of like a digital artist and like I used a tablet and Photoshop and I was really, really bad at it, but I didn't know until I had some professors tell me <laughs> and like not <laughs> some sense into me. Yeah. <laughs> Biscuit dough, I just brought together really gently with a fork in the bowl and then dumped it out onto the floured surface on yeah, the so tabletop. Yeah, so it's not super smooth. There's still kind of some texture. Yeah, and we're going to, like, kind of knead it, but not really, first of all, because it's very crumbly, and also you don't want it to get too, like, you don't want to overwork it, as they mm. say. Overworked. <laughs> um, always practicing my Paul Hollywood impression. Um, yeah, just until it, like, just comes together. And then you kind of pat it out into, like, a fat little little guy and then you would use like a biscuit cutter which we don't have so we're going to use a cup um so i always use i feel like i always use the wrong one i might try this one this time i just like take a whim on whichever although these might be a little bit big so do they is there a lot of rise in them yeah they puff up pretty nicely they like in my experience hopefully they will today too um, but I've gotten them be like pretty nice and tall and fluffy. Um, not like the most like greasy, buttery, like Pillsbury kind of fluffy, but like still what pretty I good. think is a pretty good biscuit. Yeah. And usually this recipe makes about like six, depending on how big of a cutter you're using. Sure. Which is a good, see there yeah, it goes. Yeah, a good number, yeah. And they don't bake for very long either, which is nice. Okay, that's good. It depends on your oven. But um, these take like less than 10 minutes oh, wow. usually, which That's is nice. Great. How do you like your eggs? Um, this, is a, this is a question that I'm not sure how to answer. Mm -hmm. um, for, like, um, I guess like flips over, but like just for a bit. Like you still like yolk? I like yolk, yeah. Okay, cool. So I think I'm going to make our eggs the same way they okay. then. Great. Because I prefer mine. I guess it's technically like over easy. Okay, that's the term. Okay. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, we all like over This is the popular choice. 
Over medium. Over medium, okay. Yeah. So what does what does the easy part mean? Does that mean just like I think it means like quickly. Turned over, but like easy as in the yolk is still mostly intact. Okay. Whereas over medium is like the yolk is a little bit cooked through. Yeah. And I think is there's over hard where the yolk is like completely cooked okay. through, but I don't know if anybody actually likes that. And then there's like fried eggs, which is the same thing, but doesn't refer to like the temperature of the yolk. Okay. I don't know. There's a lot of Do you of ever have eggs where it's not flipped over? Is that sunny side up? Okay. Well, yeah. So, and mine technically is going to not be flipped over because I have a very particular way that I do my eggs. Okay. Because um, I've tried this many times because I like mine a very particular way. You put them on like medium high heat and you cover them uh... and you watch and watch and watch and watch. And by covering it, it's just enough. Because the reason I don't like sunny side up eggs is sometimes you get uncooked soft. white. Yeah. And it makes me gag. Yeah, like, I gross. absolutely cannot touch it. Oh, that's such a good way of doing it, though. Yeah, so if you cover it, you just watch until it's like a really thin film that like just and coats like, the yolk and you're done. Yeah. And it still like kind of quivers and you can tell that it's still soft. And you can achieve that by flipping it if you use the right kind of pan. But I don't know how to do it, and I would rather just not mess with it. Yeah, this is what I've been doing for a long time. Um, my breakfast for a really long time has just been like an egg like that with cheese or without cheese on toast, butter in the morning. I've been taking a break because my stomach's been kind of weird lately, and I haven't been like, I haven't had the appetite for that kind of thing in the yeah. morning. But it's good to kind of chop and change, right? You can come back to it. That too, exactly. And now it makes this an even better occasion because I haven't had eggs in a while. So the bacon will take the longest. So we'll put on the bacon, then maybe put on the eggs, and then depending on which pan is open quickest, put on the cheese, I guess, is how we'll do it. This is a slick operation. It really is. This is, all, this is always what I try and like time out. Like with my... With my breakfast toast and eggs, um, the timing that I've always tried to like practice is like how, like when to like put on the stove, when to do the egg, when to do the toast, when to get the butter, so that like because the way I do it is I like to have like two pieces of bread, one for the egg and one smaller one to catch the yolk, so I don't have to like wipe up the plate because I'm very particular about getting all the yolk. Yeah, you don't want to waste it. Yeah. Um, so I would like, and it always depends on like what pan I'm using, what toaster oven I'm using. So it's like, put in the toast, turn it on, wait like 30 seconds, light the stove, put on the egg, like wait, because like you want like the toast to be done just when the egg is done, but you don't always know when the egg is just going to turn over and be cooked and then you'll overcook the yolk. And like, I don't know if you time it wrong, it always turns into a whole thing. So that's the amazing sound of bacon. It's the best. Nothing like it. Mm. Have you had many bacon, egg, and cheeses while staying here? No, I feel like I've been getting overwhelmed by them. But everyone, like, it's a few people I've spoken to have been like, this is the classic New York family. Like, yeah. You need to have it. Like, do you know what? I actually don't know if I've had one. I've been here like three weeks. I know. Ooh. So this might be my well, first. Well, I'm, I'm glad then. Yeah. Because, you know, it's going to be kind of a schmancy one with this yeah. fresh biscuit. Which I guess I'll peek on them. See, so you can see they're already popping up oh, a good look bit. At that. Yeah. Yeah, they look great. I love these. Um, yeah, I love a breakfast sandwich. Um, 
I think your sandwich, your sandwich culture here is just like next to, there is like, it's like unparalleled. Yeah. And the breakfast sandwich is like, it's very New York, but it's also very East Coast. Like I'm from okay. South Jersey, um, outside of Philly. Philly has the cheesesteak, obviously. Of course. But we also do a lot of like bagels down there and stuff too. Like the bagel breakfast sandwich or just the plain bagel is really popular down there too. I love bagels so much. Yeah. I enjoyed reading about your, um, your classic bagel order. Oh the- yeah. That one changed me. The the cream cheese, bacon, avocado. That order really changed my perspective on bagels. There's also, I don't think I ended up writing about this in the book, which is a shame because, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm like, oh, I forgot to write about yeah. this for the book, but it's like, I forgot to write about a lot of things for that book. Like, I've eaten a lot. I'm, you know. But there's a local place called Central Park Bagel in the same area as, like, the diner and some of the places that I wrote about. Um... And they do a steak, egg, and cheese that is one of the best things I've ever eaten in my entire life. Like, it's somehow, like, significantly better than a lot of their other... Like, their other breakfast sandwiches are good, but, like, the steak is always just, like, so, so good and so cheesy. And you can get it with, like, caramelized onions. Um, It's really good, except they're, like, a tiny little family-owned shop, so they get so swamped on the weekends. Everyone's getting steak, egg, and cheeses. And it takes a long time to make them, and I always feel so bad for, like, the people running the grill, but that's how it is. Shouldn't be so good. Yeah. What was the idea behind the book? Because it was your thesis, right? Yeah, well, Pratt's thesis um, setup is a little bit weird for my department. Um, You take these classes called senior project, but you take two per semester, your senior year. And not all teachers run them as thesis projects, but some of them do, and I happened to take... First semester, I took two thesis-based classes. Second semester, I took one thesis-based class, and the other one was a portfolio-building-based class. Okay. So this was my second semester with a teacher that I had taken the semester before who I loved. Um, Her name is Kelly. If she's listening to this, I miss her. Um, Yeah, and I'd gotten really into independent publishing and bookmaking like the year before because of a class that I had taken, and I had done a book project for her the previous semester, and I had done a book slash zine project for my other class the previous semester as well. And still wanted to do more books afterwards. Like on the first day of class, she was like, yeah, you know, maybe some of you would want to continue projects. Maybe you want to start something new like Aisha. I don't know. Maybe you're not going to do a book this time. And I was like, no, I'm going to do a book. I don't know what else I would do at this point. I'm doing a book. And I had taken this really fabulous class with a professor of mine named Josh, if you're listening to this, shout out to Josh. These are both people that I thank in the credits of the book, too. Yeah. Um, pause. We are out of paper towels, so I'm going to grab toilet paper to set this down. <laughs> on. It's fresh, so... Pardon. I mean, it does the same thing. Yeah. Um, so he taught this really fabulous class called culture of food oh my god that yeah. sounds amazing already like sounds cool and it basically was just that like we read like the history of the development of food culture the development of like cooking because like you know we as humans did not always cook yeah yeah um the development of like do you like your bacon crispy yes okay yes. cool i might get the other side like one more minute and that's one of my alarms Oh, it was the timer. It's the biscuits. I'm like, oh, it's one of my alarms. <laughs> no, it's the biscuits. They could be burning. Um, no, they, they don't use. 
another two minutes or so to get a little bit more golden, actually. That's good. So yeah, culture of food. That was a super fascinating class. Um, so what sort of stuff did you read? We read, um, oh, there's this guy, and I can't remember his name, but he was one of the first like published food writers. He was actually a lawyer. Oh, wow. Um, and he wrote this like as his hobby, like in his spare time or whatever. And he wrote this book called, it was something about like gastronomy. Like okay. it was one of the first, and it was basically one of the first published pieces of writing that talks about food the way we talk about food now. Yeah. But it was written in like maybe the 19th century, I think. Sure. Um, and he was this like really just like funny French dude um, who just like loved drinking and loved food and just like really wanted to write about it like as a hobby um which was funny so like a lot of the ways he talks about it is very like clear facts about like history and like about certain um physiologies i think it's called the physiology of taste that's what it's called the physiology of taste oh, okay. i think is the name of the book um but he also just talks about like how good certain things are and like the pleasure we derive from food and stuff like that so that was one of the things that we started with and then we would go sort of by region, looking at some of the big ones, like France, looked at Italy and like slow food. We looked at America, which was like a lot darker. Basically one of the themes was like the political and like social history of a country is directly reflected in its food, which like right. is the case for most things because we are a very like anthropological society or whatever, like a planet, if you will. There's a lot of humans, um, which we know. Everything's already out of the fridge. Um, butter to grease the pan for the eggs. That's what I was looking for. So now we've got the queso blanco, not queso fresca, because I was totally saying that wrong. Um, <laughs> just brushed with olive oil on either side, medium high heat for like two minutes on each side. We did this on the electric grill last time, but it should work fine yeah. on a pan. Oh yeah. It just smells so good. Probably ready. One thing I really, I can't remember which recipe it is, but one thing I really loved about it is this idea of like, we can, we're sort of losing recipes that are just being handed down. And there's just a really nice, I think it's maybe your grandma's recipe, and there's a translation that comes out as the pastry soft as your earlobe. Oh, yeah, and which I, is a direct translation. Right. Like, that's, yeah. that's, that's how but it's I just love that. To be. Like, I know. Um, I my, think that's such a, like, I can picture doing that as well. It's like. Exactly. And it works. <laughs> no, it's so funny. My, um, one of my cousins is getting married this weekend, I think I mentioned. Yes, and of course. One of the gifts uh, my aunt was trying to organize was like a little like recipe book where she emailed everybody and asked them to like send in some family recipes or something for them to put together, like a little more impromptu one. So I sent that one um, and my mom sent, I think that one or a similar one. She was like, oh yes. And I was sure to include all of Ani's little like tips and tricks and like all the funny things. Because with the jam, I didn't really include this because it's hard to type out in the book. But when cooking the jam, my grandma's version of like making jams is all about the sound it makes while it's simmering, but it's like Turkish onomatopoeia. So it's like look, 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 or like uh, what is it? Like futter, futter, futter. If it's like going faster, like all of these like different bubbling sounds. Oh my god, that's which is I really love onomatopoeia in other languages. It's so yeah, exactly. Um, I'm trying to remember what were some of the other ones. Futter, futter, and like look, look for like the slower And so that's bubbles. like um, so the word. It would be like a Turkish word that makes that, and you just can't translate it. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, I could have typed it out, but it probably would have been a little sure. weird. Um, kind of hard to explain. Um, oh, so my God. here is our assembled sandwich. Okay, I actually so meant got... to put the cheese below the egg. 
but oh, that's okay. it works fine. And a little crisscross of bacon. Yeah, a little crisscross of bacon. I think we... the yolk broke when I put it down, but it's all soaking into the that's biscuit. Okay. That's okay. That's a good situation. And we top her off. Look at this. Okay, I'm going to take a picture of this. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much to Aishan for the delicious breakfast sandwich and also for being my first guest on this new series of Lekker. You can follow her on Instagram at media underscore bitch and also at media underscore dish. The latter is her food account, which is obviously extremely relevant to this. So I do recommend following that one as well. Aishan and her friends in Pop3, which is a DIY small press that they run, are tabling at the LA Art Book Fair in April. So if you'll be in the area around them, go and check them out. You can find out all the details at pop3.life on Insta. Aishan also wanted to shout out all of her fellow milkmaids at Campbell Cheese and Grocery in Brooklyn. It's really cool, actually. When we met, she'd just started working there on the register and now she's an actual cheesemonger, which is a pretty amazing career trajectory. Also, shout out Josh Carrant. I really hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Apologies if not who was one of the Pratt professors she mentioned in the episode. He taught the culture of food class she mentioned, which, let's be honest, sounded incredible, and I now really want to take it myself. A reminder, Food Stuff is the name of Aishan's book, and I really, really recommend getting a copy. If you're in NYC, you can find her work at the MoMA PS1 bookstore, and also at Printed Matter in Manhattan. There's actually a scene on one of the latest steps of Broad City, where her book is in the background, uh, which is shot in Printed Matter, which is pretty amazing. And she's now also got an online store, which is aishengerlach.storeenvy.com, where you can buy the book. As ever, you can find Lekka on Twitter and Instagram at Lekka Podcast, where I'll be posting some pics from my recording and also from Foodstuff itself, as to Aishin's kindly uh, given me permission to share some of the amazing illustrations she did for the book. And if you love listening, please do consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts so that other listeners can discover us on there. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode. So excited to be back in your feeds. Bye for now. Bye.